You have to tell your story and the vision about what you as a company deliver, number one. Number two, you have to help others understand what their role is in getting to that big vision, right? Like the finance person who was on that team with that medication, like you helped families with more memories and more moments because of the work you did to get that done. So the second thing is you've got to bring the team in where they sit for that story, where they sit for that. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Lead the team, people. Welcome back. Today, I've got Michelle Carnahan, who's the president of 30 Madison, the premier healthcare company for people living with chronic conditions. After spending more than 25 years in healthcare and treatment innovation, Michelle joined 30 Madison because of her commitment to patients and her desire to improve chronic care. Her background in strategy, marketing, and operations in Sanofi and Eli Lilly, yes, that Eli Lilly allowed her to see how having access to care, uh, to care that patients needed changed their lives for the better. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, I'm in Charleston today. She's up in New Jersey. So Jersey. we've got an East Coast conversation rocking and rolling. So Michelle, let's talk a little bit about your start in healthcare. You've obviously been with some big name organizations. So, but what, like thinking back early on when you got into healthcare, what was your first job in healthcare and how does it still influence your leadership today? Yeah, Ben, thanks. And let me say up front, while Jersey is fine, I really wish I was down in uh, South Carolina for some low country food. So <laughs> come on back uh, now. <laughs> wish I was there. Um, that being said, healthcare. So, you know, I, I probably, I, I got my first job in healthcare at Eli Lilly at 21, coming out of my undergraduate degree. And at the end of the day, you know, I think that I was looking for a job like most people, but when I was looking, I thought, oh, healthcare will be great because, you know, as a wise 21 year old, I, I was like, <laughs> healthcare can really impact lives, right? And I worked at Lily. I loved working there. It was an incredible place to work that the things that they do and innovate in the way in which they develop their people, mm -hmm. the types of people who work there. So it was a great career. And, you know, people would always talk about healthcare. I was always excited about healthcare. I worked on Prozac, which kind of changed the way depression was treated and really helped with something that impacts access so much stigma. I love doing that. Mm. Um, worked in worked in so many of the therapeutic areas toward the end of my career, about 20 years in my end, end of my career at Lilly, about 20 years in, I started working in diabetes, which Lilly is known for. But mm. up until that time, I had not worked in diabetes. And I, I had the opportunity to work on a joint venture with Beringer Ingelheim in Germany. And one of the drugs we had in development was a, a drug that 
was a diabetes drug, but we believed it had the ability to um, prevent stroke, prevent heart disease. And so mm. we did the studies and a lot of folks didn't think it would work. You know, it had its indication in diabetes, it would lower your A1C, but can it work on these other things? And when we did that work and when the studies were unblinded, I was leading that team. So I was one of the first few people that the mm. study was unblinded to. And when it was unblinded, it had had tremendous success. It had had a over 30% reduction in all-cause mortality. And what's wow. interesting about this and why it's such a poignant story for me in healthcare and why I'm so glad I built my career there and I'm still there is my father-in-law had died um, exactly 10 years before we got to this development. Mm. And we mm. had announced this and I was in the room taking that information on my son's birthday, a son that wow. he never got to meet, um, wow. a son that he would have loved, would have been mm. his first grandchild. And it was at that moment, all those, maybe they were platitudes as a 21 year old about I'm gonna work in healthcare, I'm gonna change lives. It was at that moment when it was really crystal clear that what I get to do every day in some small way, in some small way, um, changes the course for a family. It allows a mother to be at her daughter's wedding. It allows um, a, a father to be at graduation. It allows a grandfather to see the birth of a grandson. And, you know, it's at that moment where you look back and say, okay, for all the bureaucracy, all the other crazy things, like just being a piece of that makes all the difference. And, you know, it was kind of at that moment when I was like, wow, I made a good decision and I'm doubling down in that spot. So that, that's it. I love healthcare because it's about moments. It's about giving people those moments. So I got a chill hearing that story and I just love it. Now, I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm hearing it on a Pixar movie level where like I'm getting the emotional connection, but I'm also thinking on a leadership level, how many employees out in the world, they sort of miss or they lose that connection with what they do. And when that happens, it's a big leadership problem because work can become a grind even for the most inspired employees because day in day out we get lost in the mundane and details what what advice do you have for leaders who i mean who, who need who, who aren't having that effect on their employees or they're seeing their employees starting to check out and maybe they could leverage a personal story like this i mean what's your i guess may, maybe we'll start with what's your approach on utilizing this story do you tell it often what, what's the impact? Because, and this is the longest question I think I've ever asked, but I'm kind of processing it, but you tell this story and it makes, and you're, and you're president. So it almost makes the whole mission of the company seem personal. And I know this is a, you were in a different company at the time, but it's just such a personal thing. I think a lot of leaders don't want to go there. Maybe they're afraid to go there. What's your, what's your sort of feedback on that? Yeah. So look, I, I tell it all the time. And the first couple of times I told it, um, I, you know, I cried when I told it because it was, you know, mm -hmm. it was about, you know, it was about such emotion for my family. I can tell it now in the way I just kind of told it matter of factly. And when I tell it, I try to tell what the lessons are around it. Right. Mm -hmm. And the lessons I try to tell are number one, look, I didn't discover that drug. 
Um, I'm not a PhD chemist. I'm not an MD. That wasn't my job. My job was I led the team. I got them the resources. I had the conversation internally to keep it running. That was my job. But without that job, without that role, without the leader of the team, without someone pushing and pulling those slides together with their team, the drug never gets to market. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things, I think there are three steps, I would say, Ben. The first is you have to tell your story, right? You have to tell your story and the vision about what you as a company deliver, number Mm -hmm. one. Number two, you have to help others understand what their role is in getting to that big vision, right? Like the finance person who was on that team with that medication, like you helped families with Mm. more memories and more moments because of the work you did to get that done. So the second thing is you've got to bring the team in where they sit for that story, where they sit for that and the, and the third piece is, is I think it's all about attitude, right? You can look for all of the bad things. You can look for all of those pieces. It's kind of like development. You can look for all of the things you don't do well. Look for the things that you do well as a company. Make those better and better and get people excited about those things. And look, healthcare is unique. I feel, I feel really like... I'm so happy I made that decision to go to um, Eli Lilly and company and not Arthur Anderson. You know, there's a story behind that, right? For those on your, listen to your podcast who are old enough to understand it. But but because of the healthcare piece, but listen, Mm -hmm. you know, Lilly had a subsidiary for a while called Alanco. And Alanco is all about, you know, producing food and producing quality food for the world. That's a really incredible cause. Um, 30 Madison right now is about access and affordability and driving an outcome that's more patient-centered. There are so many ways that Mm. you can get there um, as a company, but you have to be willing to talk about it and you have to let everyone know and let everyone be a part of getting you there. Wow. So many things to point out there. I love your three steps. And One is like, one is to tell your story. And so for a lot of leaders listening, what is your story? And if you don't have that identified, if you have a personal story that connects to the mission, it's time to really dig, dig and think it may take some time. Uh, But the second one, I think so many leaders miss. I loved your example of bringing somebody into finance. So someone in finance, in, in healthcare, or if they're a consultant or at a bank, they're spending a lot of time in front of their computer and in meetings, probably not in the field with patients or whatnot. But you're, as a leader, you are bringing them into the conversation and you are finding how they connect to that mission and that story and you're making it connect. And y'all, some people, maybe they were great in English or whatever and back in school and they make that connection naturally. But I would say at least half of people don't make that connection naturally. Right. And so you're like making it, I love you're so specific about, okay, hey, finance person, this is how you fit to this. And, uh, and, and the attitude, sort of this continuous improvement mindset or contributing, I, I just love that part of it. Now, fast forwarding a little bit. So I want to highlight 30 Madison uh, is immediately when I was in research, uh, people living with chronic 
condition. So chronic by nature means that they're in a condition that may not be improving or improving quickly, right? And so um, people lose hope in that situation. Or you might be working with people, you're like, you're, you're trying to make their chronic condition better, but it's still a difficult situation by nature. So I just want to say it's, it's, it's no small task. Um, when you're at working with your team, what is the message that you're giving them when you're saying, Hey, our, our patients are living with chronic conditions. Uh, maybe they've never had a chronic condition themselves. And I think, and we, and we talked a little bit before we got here about, about empathy. And I want to hear your perspective on leading with empathy, but also teaching your employees about empathy to relate to people with, with conditions that they may not have themselves. Yeah, listen, I would say we get a lot of people at 30 Madison who have an innate empathy because I think people oftentimes choose things in the healthcare space because of it, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't always. And so kind of rule number one for me is if folks can't put the patient first and the patient as the true north, and I mean in every way, not only in how we make decisions, but in how we choose to empathize. I will tell you, this hmm. was nowhere truer to me in thinking about healthcare employees. I was doing um, some anthropo anthropological research in diabetes as a part of my role at Lilly. And we were out talking to people with type two diabetes and we were spending the whole day with them and being mm -hmm. immersed in their lives. And I had one woman who said to me at the end of the day, it was so nice to be able to talk to you about this because I'm so ashamed of type two diabetes because maybe if I dieted better, maybe if I exercise more, I wouldn't have it. My husband doesn't even know I have this. Mm. My husband doesn't even know I have this. So I want the people who work in healthcare to be able to empathize and understand those are the folks that we're serving. And that is what we're serving. We are serving as much to get them better physically as we are to their emotional health. And so I think an important thing in healthcare is understand the condition, understand the person. I think the second thing that's really important in healthcare and having empathy, listen, if you can have empathy and you have true empathy where you don't just feel, you listen and understand to feel, and you feel for that person, not through your own eyes, you can be a better business. You know, all mm. healthcare is about, um, because everybody plays a different role in the ecosystem, is finding my product and what I do at 30 Madison. Where does it fit into a moment of tension for that patient? And how can I provide a moment of truth to really help them in that moment? So mm -hmm. often ours is um, take Cove, for instance, in migraine. Um, about 70% of our patients don't live within 100 miles of a headache specialist. And so what we're able to do with them is to connect them with a migraine solution that they can have access to where they want, when they want, and how they want it. They can build a relationship over mm -hmm. time with 
um, with the product, with what they're building, and they can get care where they couldn't get it before. We've got to understand that patient specifically, who may look different than a patient in a townhouse on the Upper East Side um, getting healthcare specialists, because there's probably one downstairs or down the street. And so we are really trying to build that out, but not only build that out, we talk about access and affordability, but we also talk about we want to provide better outcomes. And we believe, getting back to the chronic piece, Ben, we believe that part of chronic care is not just get it diagnosed, get a medication. It's what's the ongoing condition management that I need, because mm -hmm. that is something it doesn't define me as a patient, as a person, I'm not a patient. I'm not a chronic disease sufferer. I'm Michelle Carnahan. It doesn't define me, but it is, it is, it is lifelong or at least many years. And so we believe ongoing condition management can be incredibly important. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. One of the magic things I think that, that I want to pull out what you just said that really struck me was Ben, we make it personal. Like we attract empathetic people because of typically because of the kind of company we are when they hear about us, they're applying for a job here. They're, they tend to be on more of that spectrum of, of empathy, but the fact that you're making it so darn personal, you, yeah. you, and you do it by telling these great stories that you've already told several, like the migraine people. And it's like, you, like you have the, I've noticed your strategy, like you're presenting a little research and then you're making it personal with a personal story. And so I'm like, man, leaders, leaders, I hope you're listening to Michelle. Like, like you look at her, how she's structuring this. Cause I think this, this is really important for leaders to give them a framework like, like you're doing to uh, think about this. And, can, um, I tell you, can I tell you a quick yeah. story about how I got to that kind of solution algorithm? Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was pretty early in my career, you know, and I, I was put on one of those committees that gets to go present to the executive committee of a company. So early in my career, young, not a lot of time in, in boardrooms with executive committees. And we were presenting on um, diversity and inclusion. And I went in with a presentation and mm -hmm. one of the audience members, one of the XCOM members said, Listen, I get what you're saying, but you know, you're way too emotional about this. Now, some of my, some of my, like some of why people love me, the people who love me, um, love me in spite of my passion and emotion. Um, talk to the husband. Um, and in fact, it, you know, it is, it is what makes me me. And I think everybody has to be themselves. But it was jarring to me because there I was my big time to shine. And, you know, I hadn't shine. I had been quote unquote emotional. Um, I was disappointed in myself. I was a little peeved at the person who said it. I didn't think it was appropriate. Lots of emotions, but that's where I got into the, when someone is so, when my style is so passionate, mm -hmm. um, it can, it can be overwhelming. And it's where I got into I'll always have passion, but my passion will always be supported by data. 
And it's also a thing that I think is true of the business world, although becoming less true. And in some ways, as a shareholder, I love it that it's true. You know, companies aren't always going to do things just because they're the right thing to do. Um, you know, they're trying to serve a lot of constituents. I always say a company is like a three-leg stool and it's got mm. three legs. It's got the people who work there and make things happen. It has their shareholders or investors and it has their consumers, in our case, patients. You always have to balance that. And so that's why I always put data um, into my uh, into, into my rantings then. Yeah, and it's, it's great because it helps give credibility and then you, but uh, it's interesting, research shows that all, de all decisions are made in the limbic part of the brain, which, don't which, does which doesn't respond to numbers or rational thought. So even though we think we're going to, you know, we're, we're making a scientific decision on what car to buy, it's ultimately emotional. And so that passion side, when you have that, so I always kind of feel like the data sort of puts our mind at, at ease and builds trust. But then we make the decision on whether we like the person or we're going to buy from the person from this, you know, emotional side. It always cracks me up when somebody says you're being too emotional. Well, we're always having emotions. We're always, you know, everyone's having these, even the people that say someone's too emotional, even they've got them. It just means that maybe they're not resonating with the emotion that you're generating right now. And that's just fine, you know, uh, but it's, but it's always funny when that, when, I wish I, would have listened, I wish I would have listened to your podcast a long time ago because, you know, the year after that little incursion at executive committee, I really tried to change myself. You know, I tried to become more, much more factual and data and, and I kind of turned off that emotion and I wasn't as successful because that's who I am, which is another big lesson as a leader. Mm. When we talked about empathy and how do you lead teams? You got to let people bring their full self to work. It has to be an appropriate and respectful full self, right? It, but you've got to let people be who they are at work because otherwise they're spending all their trying time trying to be something they aren't. And it's not going into the, the mission that you're serving. Yeah. I love that. You bring, everybody brings their full selves in a respectful way. Of course, you know, they, it, it really unleashes their, their creative and innovative energy. Yeah, and absolutely. man, if you want to retain them, that's where that, I mean, that, that's a great way to do it. Now, one of the things, I, there's a study out there, and I want to go back to your three steps because this really resonated with me is making it so personal. And I remember seeing some study, I think it may have been quoted in one of Adam Grant's books where he's talking about how they improved uh, quality metrics and safety in, in a pharmaceutical company that was that's fulfilling a, uh, a medications. And I guess typically they come in and they just have a number and someone sort of putting the, the medication in the bottles based on this number. But I believe they, the, the change was that they started using the person's first name or something like that. They just put a name on it and how much that increased uh, quality and, and, and reduced defects because they stopped seeing the people sort of subconsciously as a number, but more as a person. Like suddenly, instead of putting, you know, six versus 12 tablets in there, it makes a bigger difference when you don't see that person just a number, but as an actual human being. And I love how you're, how, how you're humanizing your, your stories here. That is, I mean, listen, that is, and, and I would say that works both ways. It works for leaders who need to 
like see their people as not numbers and needs to see them. But it works. It also it works the other way in the in the in the chain of of a company. And that is that, you know, people who are just getting started in companies, take your ideas, take your thoughts. I mean, this is an incredibly old cliche about everybody putting their pants on one leg at a time. But it is it is really true. And I think you know, I, I think that um, people people need to not, and this generation is much, you know, the the millennials and the Zers, I think are 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 much better at 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 bringing some of this to work. But but keep doing it, and you know, people people I said like have the courage to share the idea. Like I, we need to get to a plot where it's not courage to share an idea. Um, a discussion should you know, shouldn't take courage. We should, we should be opening companies and, and want to listen and understand. So taking you back to your storytelling, are there, or what are your storytelling mentors or books, or where did you learn to tell a great story as a leader? So I'm, I'm pretty decent with my use of humor and I get that from my mom. So I always like to, I always like to, to kick off and, and give her that because I, I tend to be a lot like my dad. And so when they go back and listen to these things, I always like to remind her, look, I, I think, um, you know, I, I think some of where, some of what I take as my tips is I, it's humor. It's, it's also just being real and showing um, the whole me. I think Brene mm-hmm. Brown helped with that a lot as I read her things. And she said something yep. in a book or on a podcast, I can't remember, that really stood out to me, which is some people think being transparent is like this thing people are born with. And you're born with it or you're not. You have an ease with yourself or you're not. And for those people who are born with it, they're just up there talking about themselves and that's just them. And she said, that's not true. Being transparent is difficult for anybody because when you are transparent, you open yourself up personally. Mm. And then when there is a comment like, oh, I really don't like the way, you know, Michelle talks about X, Y, Z, it becomes very personal. So to Mm. me, Brene Brown, I mean, Adam Grant's work is great in this space, right? Um, but to me, that was really insightful because I never thought about, I always kind of thought about it the way she said, like, you know, I, I'm a person, I'm kind of a glass half full person and I, I'm, I'm willing to share. And, but I never thought about the way it really does make me vulnerable. I'll tell one quick story about this because it's, I think it's such a great story that people just aren't born that way. So so Ben, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a couple of minutes and, and tell a story about oh. where storytelling really became a part of my life. So I, I'm running a, um, a division. We're having a launch for a line extension. A lot of people don't think the line extension is going to be overly successful. We've got 4,000 people in the audience and we're prepping for this national meeting and it's getting down to the last day of, okay, Michelle, like figure out what you want your topic to be so you know we can go and make the graphics and all those things for it. And I'm like, you know, I just have been thinking about this topic and I think it's a great topic. And I want it to be about how kids aren't afraid to fail. Like if we could all get that spirit back before we were afraid to fail, what would that look like? And how yeah. do we bring that spirit back? And you know, I was a fairly new parent. My my son was, I think, four at the time. So it's a fairly new parent. 
And so my ops person is like, that's great. That fits you. It's wonderful. I go home talking to my husband. I'm like, oh my God, what did I just do? I told them that I wanted to talk about being a mom, which is like the biggest no-no for a working executive woman in the world. (laughs) Secondly, one of the things I had agreed Mm -hmm. to do in this conversation was put Michael, my son on tape, talking about how it's, you know, how he's not afraid to fail, how he wins at, you know, his little league games. I'm like, Secondly, I'm like putting my kid out there, which is obnoxious because everybody thinks they have the cutest kid in the room. Like, I'm not doing it. Like, this is a disaster. I am doing everything you are not supposed to be doing. I go in the next day. I had a very ardent operations director. And I said, Jim, I want to I want to change it. Like, I can't do it. And he said, Michelle, I think it's a really good idea. I think you should keep it. I said, Jim, I'm overruling you. I don't want to do it. He said, Michelle, I am overruling you. You are doing it. So, you know, the month and a half up to that meeting, I was a nervous wreck. It was great. By the way, there is a lot of material in what we're all like when we aren't afraid to fail. It's a great material topic. My son loved it. They came out and shot the video of him. He had a great story about the time I made him walk around with a broken foot for a week, but he still scored a touchdown. I mean, you know, all these things. And I get on, I I go to get on stage and I tell this story and the place goes crazy. Hmm. And in fact, it had had the opposite impact that I thought it had had. It made me a real person. It didn't make my son special. It made everybody want to come tell me, hey, this is, this is what my kid did. This is what, because so many people have children or nieces and nephews and can relate to that. And it really did get across the point. Like I said, there's a lot of material around not being afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the best line extension launch, I think, still in pharmaceutical history. And my son, who is now 18 years old, reminds me of that and says that Lily probably owes him some money, um, which she wasn't smart enough to ask for at the time. I tell that story because every amount of common sense or book reading that I would have done as an executive woman would have said, don't do that. And I will tell you, I told that story in an interview to this day, about five Mm -hmm. years ago, I told Mm -hmm. it. And the person said to me, that was really the wrong thing to do. And you know what I said is like, I'm really sorry. Like feedback is against it. Results are against what you said. It was the right thing to do. But even after I told it and told it, there was like, no, an executive woman should never do that. So that to me is where the power of storytelling and relating to others and making them bend to your point more than a number. Um, making them something else is, I think, so important. Holy smokes. All right. I got to dig into that. That was, that was wonderful. So best pharmaceutical launch in history. Through doing things that you weren't supposed to do, uh, getting more personal, more vulnerable. And I'm sure Brene Brown's going to listen to this episode and she will be very proud of you because... <laughs> I know she'd be giving you a high five, just like I am through this, uh, do this. And so one, I love, thank you for telling that on this show, but being this vulnerable seems like a wild card to them. So you're doing it from the C-suite, but do you think this could be damaging to somebody's career going there too early? Maybe it's their first big time on the stage and they're concerned about being taken seriously. 
know, what's your advice for sort of walking that, that tightrope for people early in their career? Yeah, I always, I always kind of see a company a little bit like dating. And I think you kind of have <laughs> to introduce yourself um, slowly, I think. Um, and so I think it, you know, I think it can be too much. I mean, at that point in my career at Lilly, I'd been there for 15 years. I mean, so, so I was known. So I, I think, you know, my advice um, is introduce yourself slowly. My advice also, though, before that, the advice before that, I ever I do everything in a stepwise fashion. Uh, my advice I before that, that. <laughs> my advice before that is, you know, first and foremost, I always say find find four kinds of life guides. The first is find a personal supporter who, even if you're wrong, will tell you that you are the best thing in this world and will just make you feel good. Find a real life mentor who will tell you what you do well and what you don't do so well. Um, find a group of friends, find a group of individuals, and finally find a sponsor. Mm. Now, let me tell you why I look at it like that. So mm -hmm. my husband is like my personal sponsor who sometimes doesn't understand that he is not my kind of real, real sponsor. He's not supposed to tell me how it is. And those are moments, but you know, honest, honest to goodness, most of the time, if it's something at work, can you, so-and-so said such and so, da, 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 and I'll tell them the whole story. I'm going to show you are hundred percent, right. You know, you are so yeah. good. You're better yeah. than they deserve. Um, then the, then you need people who will tell you how it is. And you need a variety of those people. Like, no, you know what, Michelle, you were wrong. Does it make you a bad person? But you were wrong. Then you need a group of people to run ideas around with because all of us are better than one of us. So how can you, and you have to trust them. You can trust them. And then finally, people really do need sponsors. So I think you have to find those things in your life as well as in your career. Then I think you have to find the company that fits you. I got lucky because I found a company that fit me pretty well from the get-go. Um, but if it doesn't fit you, that's okay. Maybe nothing is wrong with you and maybe nothing is wrong with the company. You're just not a fit. Um, and so find that. That is my second step. And then my third step is this whole introduce yourself slowly. Hopefully you have the right group of individuals in my collective board of directors there. Hopefully you've got that, that you know yourself. They've kept you real. Secondly, really hopeful that you've picked the right company. And if you have done those things, you should be able to bring your full self to work, but you wanna, you wanna test the waters. You, want, you wanna understand where you're going. You may do that for a while and find out this is a place I can never bring my full self. Then you need to look. But if mm. you can bring your full self, then you start thinking about how do you do it? Like the first crazy story I told on a stage of 4,000 um, was not the story of having a child. The first crazy story was I had dreadful morning sickness. Very few people knew I was pregnant and I knew I was going to throw up within my time. I knew it was going to, it was horrifying. Oh, and no. I just kind of said in front of a group of, you know, that many folks that look, you got to bear with me here. And it was enough that like, wasn't what my speech was about. It wasn't anything else, but look, here's why I'm sweating and you know, all these other things. So you gotta like, 
wean it, wean it in, I guess I should say. I, I love that on so many levels. One, it takes a team. And the fact that you've actually thought through what those ideal, like what are the roles on that team? Like we don't need a bunch of, we don't need four point guards. We need different roles. And when you're attuned to that leaders, you know, for, for your own career and for, and for that of your people, you know, it, it's, it's too much just to, just to say, I'm going to take it and whoever enters my life, like that's just going to be what it is. It's not like you're really going about, and as you meet people, you have sort of a filtering process of, Hey, this is person's a, you know, a great kind of, could be a great mentor or be a great sponsor or sort of great, be in more of that cheerleader type role. And I think having a real complete view of that is something that everyone can benefit from. And I like the idea of finding the company match and certainly introducing yourself slowly. So I thought it was a great nuance that you said, Ben, I told that first story, I'd have been there for 15 years and had some success. And so it was the perfect time for me to let them see this other side of me and connect, connect with them more as a leader versus the first one where you were just kind of having more of a talking about the morning sickness and, and whatnot. So, wow. So this is an action-packed episode. Everyone, you're going to have to go back and look at the show notes because I want to have links to this. Wrapping this up real quick, what's your parting thought for our listeners? Well, you had a really good question when you were getting to know me, which is what is the one thing that um, kind of makes like you need to be successful. And it was funny because within two seconds, I said comfortable shoes. And so I, I really do think there is some truth to that. Look, leaders mm. have to have energy. They have to have emotional energy. They have to have physical stamina. John Lecklider, who was the CEO um, of Lilly, and I'd worked for him a few times before he was CEO. And, you know, he always told the story about getting that job and taking the walk to work, which drove a lot of the security team at Lilly crazy, but mm. he would walk the eight or nine blocks to work because of the physical stamina you need to do the job. And so mm. wear comfortable shoes, like be, be in the ball game for real. Be in the ball game for real. You said emotional energy, which kind of brings us full circle talking about emotions. And we're talking about emotional energy, comfortable shoes, which being it for the long haul, like you're saying, uh, man, a great cherry on top of this fun interview. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, Ben. Take care. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.